0: Take a network break. Help yourself to a virtual donut and join us for our weekly romp through the tech and IT news. We're going to talk about new trouble for SolarWinds, a new product from Versa Networks, financial results, and more. We're sponsored today by Nokia. Nokia has introduced a new application that runs on its SR Linux network OS using ChatGPT. This application lets you query your network devices using natural language, so you can query about network state, ask troubleshooting questions, check configurations, search logs, and sort through reams of Nokia documentation. Uh, Nokia recorded with Ethan Banks from the Packet Pushers all about this. Uh, If you want to see it in action, just go to the Packer Pushers YouTube channel and search Nokia SR Linux AI Assistant, and you can see it for yourself. Uh, After the news, stick around for our Tech Bytes podcast sponsored by VMware. It's going to delve into HPE's partnership with VMware on HPE GreenLake for VMware Cloud Foundation. Uh, We discuss how the partnership benefits customers' multi-cloud initiatives and how VMware and HPE GreenLake can help customers take advantage of AI. So stick around for that. All right, let's dive into news. Uh, The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission that regulates publicly traded companies is suing SolarWinds and the Chief Information Security Officer, Timothy G. Brown, for fraud and for, quote, internal control failures relating to allegedly known cybersecurity risks and vulnerabilities. So the SEC is alleging that SolarWinds and its CISO misled investors by, quote, disclosing only generic and hypothetical risks at a time when the company and Brown knew of specific deficiencies in SolarWinds cybersecurity practices, as well as the increasingly elevated risks the company faced at the same time.
1: Uh, so the SEC might not be the place for where you'd think an IT security uh, change would happen. Right. But the the US SEC sort of has a profile that protects shareholders from companies, and therefore, and the idea is is that if you're a shareholder of a company and the the share price goes down for any reason, shareholders are impacted, and the SEC can sort of get involved for any reason in the case of public companies. And in this case, the SEC is alleging that because fraud. Happened around the cybersecurity incident that the company and particularly its approved officers of the company have, you know, apparently carried out some quite extreme, you know, the behavior of of their work was not up to sufficient quality. And therefore, um, they're in a position to take them to court and sue them. So I think, so that's how the SEC could get involved because SolarWinds was a public company. And now they're actually taking on the company and its approved officer in security to say, you did not. You conducted fraudulent activity when you told the market that it's fine, it wasn't. And then when they actually did an investigation, oh boy, they really weren't doing good, were they? (laughs) No,
0: they weren't. Yeah, and this is related to the uh, Sunburst attack where attackers were able to get access to SolarWinds uh, code uh, to um, put malware into, I think, primarily its Orion platform, which was then (laughs) that malware was passed on to (laughs) Orion customers. So a serious, serious security issue. Uh, and now we see. Uh, I think this is maybe the first time uh, the SEC has gone after not just a company but a specific officer, and this time in the security space. So now suddenly security yeah. is is in the spotlight uh, on the investment side of the house.
1: Well, I don't see it the same as the Uber, where they indicted the chief security officer of Uber, because that was um, that was a str- that was straight up fraud, hiding uh, the fact that they paid off hackers. So you know somebody hacked into Uber they went and paid them off so that they wouldn't say anything publicly. So that was right out fraudulent behavior here. Mm -hmm. I think the difference here is that this is actually incompetence. So we're talking about uh, the password that SolarWinds was using to run the Akamai CDN through which the software updates rent had a password, SolarWinds123. And in the SEC complaint, it, the workers are saying, this is like the people in the security team are saying, this isn't safe. We need to do something about it. Right. And the C- CISO sending out emails saying, don't worry about it. It's okay. We've just got to get moving. We've got to get back to work. Um, and they're saying that that is incompetence and fraudulent to do that, because what you've done is defrauded the shareholders of Cloudflare.
0: Right. And the issue is that um, it's not just that they, they were incompetent. It's an in, in official documentation to the SEC. They actually tried to pretend like they were competent, so they lied on these forms, mm. which is an issue. But they also, the SEC is also taking them to task for statements made on SolarWinds' website, not on official SEC documentation or forms, but just mm. SolarWinds' website itself, talking about their security processes and how they take security seriously and all of the, the controls they have in yeah. place, which were not true. And so, yeah, SEC is saying that's fraudulent in terms of uh, misleading yeah. investors. So this is how compliance operations like the SEC works. You lodge all these forms...
1: And the forms don't do a whole lot in and of themselves, but when there is a, the 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 forms are then used to say, you know, if you do something like this and you've lodged a form saying we are implementing best practices security and we comply with all of the, and you sign the bottom of that, right? Mm-hmm. Then the SEC can come back and go like, well, here's the evidence to say that you didn't, so you are in breach. That's the purpose of the form. It's like when you go into a country, you sign a form saying that you are not a terrorist. That's kind of pointless, but what it does mean is if you actually come into a country and you are a criminal or a terrorist or whatever it is the entry conditions are, and you do the thing that is not, then they can instantly put you in jail because they can arrest you because you've breached the terms of your entry, right? Right. That's what this is, same sort of thing.
0: Yeah. So. And the SEC has receipts here because they quote from internal communications from Brown and other cybersecurity engineers about things like insecure remote access and a growing number of security issues that uh, the engineering team can't resolve. So they actually have Internal communications back and forth, including presentations from Brown talking about risks and vulnerabilities and issues uh, that oh. they, when they reported to the SEC, didn't come up. <laughs> so yeah, that's the so issue. If you get
1: into the details, it's fairly clear that this guy was a cowboy, if you want to call it that. You know, just willing to ignore stuff, not bother, not, t- and potentially I came off with the opinion that he just wasn't smart either. Like he was just not a, an experienced security professional. He was willing to take risks and sign off on them in. You know, for a publicly operated company that sits in the supply chain. And I think the SEC is using this as an example to other companies. Did you get that sense as well?
0: Oh, very much so. Very much mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I think if you are a CISO, a CIO, a chief security officer, you are now potentially in SEC crosshairs regarding statements made by the company Regarding security operations, security status—not just yeah. formally to the SEC on your uh, S-1s, your 8Ks, and so on—but on your own website. So <laughs> it's real. It's it, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I think this is really interesting because up until now there has been a there's a pathway to the CEO's role for you know people would go out and get an MBA from somewhere they would come in and to be the IT manager or the CIO or the CISO and then use that as a stepping stone to become you know, a senior VP or a senior exec and then on to the CEO's role. And so some of the IT roles have been seen. I'm a manager of people or I'm a master of process, not a master of the discipline, if Uh that makes sense. Uh And I think this sets up the role for CISO now to become an official company officer and associated with that is that you would have to be listed on your SEC submissions. And I think in the future, public companies will have to submit a form saying that they comply. You know, we're heading down that path So your CISO will actually have to be a skilled security professional with hard skills to be able to meet the the corporate requirements. And I think also, interestingly, probably to meet insurance requirements, because if you think about insurance companies offering cyber insurance, but if they become officers of the company and they're vulnerable to lawsuits in this case, then what companies do is they buy insurance for the people in those roles, okay? Mm -hmm. So if you're a CEO, there is... CEO insurance. If you're a CFO, then CFO insurance. So that if something goes wrong and you get sued, the insurance policy pays out and pays for the lawyers on your behalf. Mm-hmm. If the CISO gets that responsibility and then starts to, you know, has a has an insurance policy, or then the insurance policy is going to say, well, that person needs to be a skilled professional. We're not going to insure just any old clown out of Harvard with an MBA. Mm-hmm. We want somebody who's a, who's got credentials, Actual right? They don't just have...
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, that's right. Your CFO has to have. You know, it has to be a certified accountant or have some sort of accounting background to be the CFO, so on and so forth. So I think this, if this plays out the way I suspect it will, and it will be a a slow motion sort of a thing, um, I think we're going to see the cost of IT security change when it's starting to be a serious thing. So if the CEO all of a sudden has been able to ignore, you know, I've been saying for a long time, IT security just doesn't matter. Nobody cares, right? Companies get breached, data gets lost. There's no negative price to this. Now, all of a sudden, the CEO is looking at this case saying... All the lawyers are coming to him, or the, you know, the boards coming to him and saying, "Well, where's your IT security compliance? We have to lodge a form with the SEC that says we're doing whatever." This could actually make a change, if that makes sense.
0: It's my hope that it would, but, um, you know, the other direction this could go is instead of, you know, chief information security officers or CISOs becoming more security uh, specialists, they could become instead more legalistic and compliance-oriented rather than security-oriented, security oriented. Uh, and their job is, you know, sort of hunting down uh, emails and, and scrubbing them that talk about security incidents or vulnerabilities and changing language on websites, and so, yeah, I, I think it could go either way. The other thing I think... Uh, Companies, I think, pretend that they care about security and talk about security because they think it sounds good. Um, but I wonder if we'll actually get to the point where companies just say, yeah, we, we're we doing our best, but we're vulnerable and anything could happen at any time. Yes. And investors should just keep that in mind when they're making investment decisions. And <laughs> that gets them off the hook with the SEC, basically, if they can just start using language like that, where yeah. like, yeah, we could get screwed any time. And we're trying and we follow best practices, but who knows what's out yeah. there. Yeah. I think the compliance,
1: you know, the minimum level here has just been raised, and this is what this is. Now, keep in mind here that the SEC reflects the need to secure voters or to secure the institutions that voters have. So US citizens invest their retirements and their savings into public companies. So your pension pot or your retirement fund or your banks are investing into these companies. And if they are fraudulent, then that system doesn't work. So just in case you think like, well, nobody's getting hurt here, that's who is getting hurt. It's actually the... The, the common man, as well, obviously rich people too, but who cares about them? Uh, I would also note that SolarWinds just a week ago and now is uh, there was various uh, press releases came out led by Bloomberg saying that SolarWinds was believed to be looking to sell itself to somebody. Uh-huh. So I bet that's, I bet that's that. <laughs> right. Bet they weren't planning on being sued by the SEC for uh, incompetence right. in, the, in the IT department. Because when you're a technology company like SolarWinds, and then basically you're now being, Taken to court because of incompetence in technology—that's not a good look at all. Right. Yeah. No. Definitely. And if not. you're a company, if you're a customer of Air it's probably time to think hard about whether you want to be associated with a company that's going to sell itself, go through an SEC lawsuit, has a history of, you know, not only incompetence before the breach, when the breach happened, they were not um, helpful or cooperative, and they didn't do a whole lot. They turned to third parties to do all the work. They called in the FBI and called in, you know, the government and so forth. And now they're showing up as being fraudulent after the fact as well. This this is what the evidence suggests. Is that really a company you want making your technology stack being involved in your supply chain? I'm not 100% sure that I I would want to be continuing to be partnered with them at
0: this point. Yeah. Uh, A couple of other points I wanted to raise. One, uh, in reading some of the comments that the SEC released by internal staff about vulnerabilities and the need to address them. I can imagine similar emails or Slack messages being shared at any publicly traded company or any organization of any size. I have to wonder, uh, is this going to have a chilling effect on truthful internal communications about risk, knowing that these emails could be revealed and used uh, in a lawsuit against the company for fraud? Um, And that then makes it even harder to actually address those risks. The other question I have is... Obviously, they knew about these issues. Were they being rebuffed by other executives around getting the proper resources, the proper staffing, uh, Mm -hmm. cooperation with other departments, IT departments to fix these vulnerabilities? Or was it all just, we need to get these products out, don't worry about it, just uh, blah, 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 which is what typically tends to happen. So my takeaway is that if you are in any kind of security role in an organization, particularly higher up, and you are asking for help and not getting it. Document these requests. You now have very much an incentive to document the fact that you understand these things exist and you are trying to get help and being buff- uh, blocked.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, I read it as um, there was quite a few emails from employees um, that really looked like I don't want to be responsible for this. <laughs> you like right. they were covering their butts. Like the, some of the emails that I read and some of the context of which I was reading, I was going like those those people were smart they were going like i can't take responsibility for this you have to right. you know like and they were putting it in writing knowing that if it ever got caught exactly <laughs> like like how dumb as a CISO do you have to be to not read that and go like i wonder if i'm ever going to be caught out by that um it really is it's really an indictment on this this particular person on just how cavalier and you know, professionally incompetent. This but I also really wonder was. about the entire
0: organization. If this uh, CISO did yeah. go to other executives and say, we've got issues and the other executives are like, eh, not my problem, or we don't have the budget or you figure it out yourself some other way. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I need to know more before I throw him entirely under the bus. Uh, yeah. Because uh, I've, so- I've heard about how other organizations <laughs> regard security. So they, they don't want to spend on it.
1: Yeah, no. Well, that's true. Or maybe they didn't before because they couldn't see a return. Now they're starting to see a return. Okay. I mean, <laughs> if the SEC is coming after you as the CEO of the company, then all of a sudden the CEO cares. <laughs>
0: like, right.
2: There's
1: nothing a CEO cares more about than his own. Right. right than his, his own, own well-being. Decisions. Yes. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, is it, is it different now? I think so. I think this this does it'll start to move the needle. I still think security doesn't matter overall. Like, it's much more often that, but as employees, make sure that you put in the internal email, this is not my decision, I this is my recommendation, and then when it comes to this situation, your butt is covered, I think, yes. the
0: lesson to be learned here. Document for your preser- uh, your self-preservation, absolutely. Exactly, exactly
1: yeah. yeah. As we always said, if you're going to commit fraud, don't put it in an email or a text message. Just. <laughs> but if you're covering your butt, definitely put it in an email or a text message.
0: Yes, and CC everybody. All right, well, we got a ton of links in the show notes if you want to read up on the story for yourself, but we'll move on. Uh, Versa Networks, they compete in the SD-WAN and SASE markets, are now aiming to get into campus networks. The company recently announced a new initiative. It's called Versa Secure SD LAN. It aims to bring more security services and zero-trust controls into the campus network, not just at the typical firewall edge. Uh, The solution relies on building a VXLAN overlay in your campus network using EVPN for control plane, um, and it includes appliances and campus Ethernet switches that run Versa networking and security software. Uh, you don't have to get rid of all your existing campus gear, but you will need to run Versa appliances or Versa switches in addition to whatever you've already got uh, to build that overlay and get these security controls.
1: Yeah, we've talked uh, before about this when, you know, I got some pushback when we first started talking about, you know, SASE and SD-WAN turning into branch networking. Um, and particularly the companies that I've seen doing this is Palo Alto and Fortinet are the two that I've seen most often. And so are most, and, and we're seeing SASE just become branch LAN, You know, the campus LAN, the campus wireless in those branch networks or in those remote networks is just part of the SASE and SD-WAN technology stack. And this is Versa basically following the path that, you know, following its competitors into the market. So the you read into the post that what they're talking about here is they're just extending their standard network operating system that they use in SD WAN to add some functions for wireless and wired in the branch network, right? So not a big deal. But they also offer their zero trust, their micro segmentation, their threat detection using AI and ML, all the usual things that you would think. Once you've got an AI, you know all the zero trust, micro seg, the identity and access management, all that stuff in SD WAN, and you're using it for remote access, really easy to move that into the campus because you just put an overlay in the campus and then you just funnel it all up into the same technology you're using in the SD-WAN and there you are, you're in business. I noticed that uh, Meraki is increasingly getting into this as well as all the others. And companies like Versa have the NOS and they have the cloud service. They're already selling the SD-WAN edge. But notably, notably Drew, Versa sells through managed service providers and telcos mostly. They don't sell direct to the enterprise. Mm. And so they can, their brand doesn't really appear to the customers. So it's not like Versa has to compete against Cisco to win this business or, or Palo or Fortinet. And the MSP goes out and says, we can give you an SD-WAN service and manage your branch network for you right the way out to the edge. And and there's no question, you know, it's not even a brand competitor. It's not even a competitive situation.
0: Yeah, I guess my take was this. They're actually, they're not just thinking branches here. They are thinking campus networks like your big mm-hmm. campus HQ uh, oh, okay. coming in and competing against... You know Cisco, Aruba, Juniper, whoever else is is building out your campus infrastructure here. I, I think they're being, and I understand, yes they they uh, it's it's not Versa necessarily having to go up against Cisco, but it's their MSPs, which is also tough, having to go up against yeah. Cisco. Well, uh, more the fact that i was framing using, that
1: in terms of if you're thinking can Versa compete against Cisco, the answer is yes because they're not. It, they but they're sell relying it on indirectly. other people to do it for them. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So uh, Telco will go out and say, we've got a managed sd WAN service. Do you want to buy it? And, you know, we can take back those routers and stuff, you know, whatever you've been using for the last 10 years and replace it with SD-WAN. So, for example, Lumen is big this week in saying uh, they see the way forward. I mean, Lumen's almost broke. And say so it's definitely a struggling company, in Lumen. Um, but they're saying that they think that they can get growth by doing managed, growing their managed SD-WAN SASE services. So, you mm-hmm. know, they don't want to say that. Some customers will come in and say, I want you to manage my Cisco SD-WAN. But there's others who are going to say, just give me an SD-WAN. So- Right. Yeah.
0: I I think it's interesting that Versa decided it wanted to go after the campus.
1: Well, I mean, you can buy merchant campus silicon anywhere. Sure, yeah, yeah, it's easy, easy for it, them they, to build
0: the appliance, and also there's plenty of Broadcom, and their, their Ethernet switch is built on Broadcom, but just knocking on the door to be like, hey, we've got a new switching solution for you, it's kind of like, yeah, take a hike, buddy, because I'm already <laughs> locked into Cisco or whoever. So it's well, just a And that's it's just a point, point, is versus
1: never knocked on the door. They've always come through the OEM channel. They've right, always and, sold via somebody else. You know?
0: Yeah, and the fact that they're asking you to deploy VXLAN EVPN in the campus means this is not an SMB play. That's, that's I think, a, a heavy lift. Uh, so maybe if it is a managed services play... They've got the, the the chops and the capability to do that and and operate it for you, if that's the idea. Yeah, my guess is that they would be relying on the reseller, the MSP,
1: or the telco to put the professional services in play. Yeah. Notably, it's EVPN here, right? It's not LISP. So um, Cisco made a play for LISP in the campus, and right. no one else is following that trend. LISP is a is a you know a unique proprietary protocol to Cisco at this point. So, right. Um, anybody who thinks that LISP is the future here, I, I would question that. Really, the only company that's operating Lisp is is Cisco, and I hear stories that perhaps they're even thinking about pulling out of that and moving to EVPN because that's what everybody else is doing, and they're not going to be able to continue to carry the proprietary mode. But if you're, of course, they've had huge success with Campus Networks. They've made a lot of money out of it. They're uh, talking with investors about how successful Campus has been for them. They're stuck in a situation now where they've committed down a particular path, and they've, how do you migrate customers to where everybody else is? Right. Tough, tough day.
0: Yeah. Yeah, tough. All right, links in the show notes if you want to read up on it, uh, we'll move on. Uh, Cloudflare has announced a new open source tool for removing sensitive uh, authentication and access materials such as session cookies from HAR files. HAR stands for HTTP response archive, and that's a file for sharing records from a user's browser session. HAR files are used for troubleshooting and diagnosing problems. Uh, so why is Cloudflare releasing this tool? It's because attackers were able to access authentic- authentication tokens in HAR files grabbed uh, from Okta, which is an identity management fighter, and then use those tokens to try to infiltrate Cloud. Flare attackers used a similar method to go after one password which is the story we covered last week uh so Cloudflare rolled out this tool to help you strip uh, those kind of tokens out of har files mm. if you are using them in your troubleshooting and diagnostics so i went out and read the uh, i didn't hadn't heard of har files before and so i went
1: out and did a bit of quick search Wikipedia, of course has got the a, a functional definition the specification defines an archival format for http transactions that it can be used by a web browser to export detailed performance data about the web pages it loads, the specification for this format is produced by the Web Performance Working Group of the World Wide Web Consortium. The document was never published and it was subsequently abandoned. <laughs> so <laughs> it sounds to me like somebody was saying, "How do I do it? Get a dump of of uh, you know the web browser so that I can do traces and see what's going wrong." Right. Found this and just went ahead with it, but this isn't. It was an incomplete standard and just failed to think about you know, the security ramifications. So Cloudflare is basically saying, we'll we'll give you a process for sanitizing it so we don't have this before. Because obviously um, Cloudflare doesn't want to be vulnerable to Okta. Okta, nobody really believes that Okta is going to be secure going forward is the sense I get. You know, they've been breached three times in the last 18 months now. How, how much trust do you have in Okta?
0: Right, <laughs>
1: right. But point? if you've
0: built your, you know, sort of a lot of, of your identity management structure around them, it's very hard to migrate away. So it seems like Cloudflare is yeah. like... You guys can't get your act together. We're going to do it for you, at, at least on this uh, this vulnerability that's been exploited multiple times from your end. Yeah, yeah. and
1: Cloudflare doesn't want to see, you know, companies getting taken over. They need to protect them. So this fails as much. There's value in there from, for Cloudflare as a marketing exercise. value in there is yep. saving them from themselves, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and there's value in there from saving their customers who might otherwise come to Cloudflare and say, we've been hacked, what can you do to help us sort of thing. So I think, you know, yeah. good, good one for Cloudflare for doing this.
0: Yeah, so the tool's available online. Um, you upload HAR files, and it uh, says it. says uh, Cloudflare says the, the tool, will quote, strip out any session-related cookies or JSON web tokens. All sanitation is done client side, which means Cloudflare never sees the full contents of the second to- session token, thus avoiding any issues. You might be thinking of, well, am I just uploading my second to- session tokens to Cloudflare? No, you're not there. They'll strip it out mm-hmm. on the client side. Uh, this is um, They are making this uh, an open source tool, even though it's running on Cloudflare infrastructure. Mm-hmm. It's available under an Apache out a license
1: maybe it's time for the w3c like the working group in the w3c to actually finish I mean, this standard yeah it sounds like <laughs> people are using this so we can
0: maybe come back to it because
1: <laughs> maybe they should uh reopen that uh that that
0: standard Yeah. You know? yes it's also interesting, if you read the blog, you can almost hear Cloudflare gritting their teeth like, all right, Octa, you clearly can't handle this yourself, so we're uh, <laughs> cleaning it up for you. Yeah,
1: like I said, three times in 18 months, and Not two a, of the attacks were identical, exactly the same right. initial vector, and just the impacts has gotten worse time after time. At what point do you... <laughs> I imagine everybody's looking at their Okta implementation, which is substantial. You're probably thinking, I can't change it, but what can I do to save myself from them? Or, you know, tough situation. Very
0: tough. All right, a quick break to tell about our sponsor, Nokia. Have you ever wanted to just talk to your network and find out what's going on? Now you can. Nokia has released a new application for its SR Linux network OS that uses ChatGPT. The app is accessible right inside the CLI with the simple prompt of Ask AI. You can type in a natural language question and get answers in seconds about the device, about its network state, log, configurations, and troubleshooting. You can also quickly and accurately search through Nokia technical documentation right from the CLI. No need to swivel to another window or screen, to sift through reams of online content. Uh, Nokia recorded a video Demo with Ethan Banks from the Packet Pushers. It's available now on the Packet Pushers YouTube channel. Uh, Ethan and Irwan James from Nokia walk through how the application works, and they run through several scenarios, including getting details on a BGP feature, uh, how to configure that feature, and because the chat GPT API is accessing device state and Nokia documentation, its answers are provided in a context relevant to SR Linux, so it uh, matches up with what you need to do right in the CLI. So just go to Packet Pushers YouTube channel, search Nokia SR Linux AI Assistant to see it in action for yourself. You can also follow the at the end of the video if you want to download the application and give it a try. It's very
1: cool. You literally type plain text command, show show me the BGP neighbors, and it will show it to you. And then you can actually ask the chat GPT to say, put that in a table for me, and it will. Uh-huh. So there's some interesting... It's, it's, I'm not sure how immediately useful it is, but as a way to look into what AI could do on a router, because the, the point here is that Nokia's CLI is a little bit different to Juniper's, which is different to Cisco, which has many CLI's. And if you could just have a way to just query it using plain English, then some of the CLI pain might go away for common operations and this might be useful in the future. So have a look at it from that point of view was the thing that struck me about it. Yeah.
0: All right, uh, moving on. Extreme Networks reported financial results for the first fiscal quarter of 2024. The company posted revenues of $353.1 million, up 19% over last year, and net income of $28.7 million, which was also up. Uh, the company also noted that its annual recurring revenue from software-as-a-service has risen 30% year-over-year. Uh, that revenue comes from Extreme Cloud IQ subscriptions. Extreme says its SaaS options help it acquire new customers and hold on to existing ones.
1: And the share market wasn't Happy Drove. <laughs> <laughs> so fickle. Share price. <laughs> yeah. Fickle mistresses, the share price dropped from $20 to about $17, which is a 15% drop. Uh, the problem here is that while the company hit targets and 30% year over year sounds great and you know all that sort of stuff, the challenge was that they had previously predicted that they would go further. So for example, and if you consider, say, for example, in May, the Extreme share price was down around $15, $16, and then it peaked up at 32, somewhere in around August. And now it's back down to $16, $17. Extreme's had a bit of a ride over the last few months. There was a real sense of we're going somewhere. Mm-hmm. And all the way up to August, I think even on this show, I made some very positive comments about Extreme and how great they were executing. And now we're seeing this bounce back to Earth. It would seem as if Extreme did very well during the pandemic, had a really good backlog then people thought hang on it's not just a the backlog they're doing very well and carrying forward and then oh no they're not quite meeting the targets so they made some commitments about what they thought the forward sales would be they haven't met those targets repeatedly there was another drop in august in the last financial results as well they didn't quite make their numbers and and now that the people are exiting the shares and and they're being sold down so tough to be at that extreme networks especially when you get a run up like that and then all of a sudden it deflates you must be it could be a little bit uh If you're bonused on shares, you could be a little bit distressed at this particular point in time.
0: Yeah. Uh, Fortinet also announced financial results. Uh, this is for its third quarter of 2023. Fortinet took in revenues of $1.33 billion, up 16% year-over-year, and had net income of $322.9 million, also up year-over-year, uh, breaking out revenues between products and services. Product revenues were down uh, 0.6% versus last year. Services were up by 27.6%, uh, and service revenue is almost double uh, Fortinet's product revenue, so it makes a lot of money on those subscriptions and licensing fees. Stop me if you've heard
1: this before, Drew, but after the announcement went through, the share price fell by 20%, <laughs> uh, fell from $60 to around about 45 and starting to bounce back, thinking that it's been a little bit oversold. Again, Fortinet posted very good results. You know, Revenues are up 16% against last year but they missed the revenue they missed the profitability targets and more importantly they stated that going forward the revenues are going to be less than they had previously said to the stated to the market mm-hmm. and so the shares are being repriced at the new point so if, do you think there's a trend here, Drew? Because there's a whole bunch of other companies that I didn't bring in here who had exactly the
0: same thing. What we're right, seeing we're gonna is we're going to have like more the- next week. Yes, I think <laughs> yeah. we we talked about you know uh, the pandemic um, because of supply chain constraints. Uh, as mm. those constraints loosened, there was some juicing, I think, of uh, networking revenues. And it sounds like maybe that's what we're seeing happen out. The, the juice is running out now.
1: Yeah, the only one that didn't get this was Arista, who, of course. Blew the wheels off once again. Thirty-five percent up. Predicted more growth. Blah blah blah. Share prices, share prices fully valued. They didn't get a spike though, but um, they're definitely earning their chops at this particular point. Um, and that's sort of the sign. If you've got to show growth against prediction, that's what they're they're looking for here. And so, 40net had a bad day. Shares are down. There's no nothing wrong with the company particularly but it has missed on two consecutive quarters on some of the things that it had committed to the market. So I took some uh, quotes here from Ken Z in his conversations to analysts. He said, uh, building and product revenue fell below our expectation due to a slowdown in secured networking growth, along with a challenging sales execution and marketing efficiency. In response to the slowdown in the secure networking market, we are shifting our marketing and sales team focus towards the faster growing secured operation as the SASE market over the next few quarters. So there he's actually saying, we're shifting to SASE because that's where the money is. Um, and then he also went on to say, uh, while we expect top-line growth to be modest for the next few quarters during to the challenging networking comparison, our business transformation realignment towards security operation in SASE will return us to growth. So I think on the whole, SASE is where the future you know, growth is. There's no reason for data centers on-prem to grow. Campus networking has been on a boom for so long that there's there no, can't be much more growth there. And that market is very spread out. We talked about Versa at the top of the show, right? Other Mm -hmm. companies are coming in to participate in that. So I think Fortinet's probably going to be able to do that. They've got a pretty solid portfolio and companies like having security vendors selling them SASE, not so much their networking vendors, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I also read through the uh, transcript call and they mentioned several times they're focusing on SASE and security operations. Uh, Security operations, that means EDR and, and security information and event management in terms of product lines. So I'm curious to see if that emphasis bears out in future product and software releases from Fortinet around those two product areas.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, it makes sense. I think the security market has been red hot
0: you know, for the last
1: four or five years for the reasons that we've talked about, but you know, there's a, there's a point at which that market stops and the spending stops. And there's definitely signs that enterprise IT is slowing its spending in the next, say 12 months. And lots of companies have come out and said that. So any company that's coming out and saying we're under the gun, so we don't meet, we have not meeting what was our previous forward projection is being penalised and being sold off as people pull money out of tech. Now I will point out that Apple has lost $400 billion in value in the last six months as its forward statements indicate that it won't be selling as much phones and MacBooks and all the things that it wants to do. Mm-hmm. And the share price is now down 6% for the year. So there's becoming a sort of a trend, like if, you're, if you watch the market or if you're an analyst in the market, you'll see all of the technology companies are sort of Coming off the boil at this point, it's hard yeah. to say whether it's more comprehensive than that and there's something wrong there. But, you know, I would say that when I see some companies like Apple and Facebook start to come off the boil, then we start to see that trickle down to all the other companies. Cisco will probably do be fine because they'll manage to be financially engineering their cash flow so it comes out flat. But, you know, if anything goes wrong there, I'd be very surprised.
0: Yeah. Um, the, the firewall market is profitable, uh, it's driving the majority, I think, probably of Fortinet's. Profits at the moment, but it's also mature, uh, which means it doesn't grow and investors in well. Wall Street want growth. So that's why they're uh, putting a new emphasis on SASE the share uh, price represents suck-ups. the
1: future value. Right. The future value. Yes. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and if the future value is boring and no growth, but you're also not paying a dividend, you know, or something. Right. You know. So, yeah. all of these factors come into it. So yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Our last story for today. Uh HPE's and borgification of Aruba takes another step on the naming front. HPE recently put out a blog saying that HPE GreenLake for Aruba which is a network as a service offering is being rebranded as HPE GreenLake for networking you will notice that the Aruba brand has been removed from HPE GreenLake for networking um, it, uh, the Aruba branding still remains in the general networking portfolio inside HP uh, that business unit is called HPE Aruba networking but you can see the corporate brand eraser uh, having an effect here I really pulled this out because of the marketing
1: bloviation. Uh, I think that the renaming, <laughs> I mean, you've got HPE GreenLake for Aruba. That's very confusing, right? Yes. Um, yes. And I think it's pretty strong. You know, HPE GreenLake for networking does
0: make- is, is clear. I, It's clear. Yes, I understand why they're saying that. Yes.
1: You're already wrapped up inside a brand. Uh, wrapping a brand inside of a brand is, you know, not necessarily- <laughs> like, double brand surprise. <laughs> you know- <laughs> If you deep fry a Dorito, is it a Dorito <laughs> fry or what? I don't That's know. Right. It's, it's one sort of a thing. But one of the things in the marketing post, that, the blog post that came out announcing was they were drawing parallels between Aruba Networking and Prince, KFC, Facebook, and uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken and Twitter, saying they all changed their name and now it's Aruba. <laughs> I thought. I thought Oh, yeah, yeah. Get on there. Prince changing his name to the symbol. Uh-huh. Absolutely the same as HP Green Lake for Aruba <laughs> becoming HP Green Lake for networking. Get in there. Go, go hard. right? right. <laughs> Somebody was yeah. to tried- Right, that wasn't a chat GPT blog post. Really. I'm pretty sure of it.
0: I also question uh, a marketing department and wanting to invite any kind of comparison of their own brand to Twitter slash X. That seems like a bad move, but uh, I guess... Or it, Facebook. It just <laughs> in fit the in there, so. yeah,
1: that's just <laughs> But anyway, good. Like, good. I, I'm just glad that HP is finally listening to Network Break and, and saying, you know, now we're starting to see a sort of a trend saying HP networking is really where it's at, rather than Aruba, HP Aruba networking. And uh, I do feel it's uncomfortable. What do you think? If you ever want to give me some feedback on that and tell me that I'm wrong, head on over to packetpushes.net slash fu to webpage where you can leave it and just send us your feedback. We'd be happy to run it in the next show. And of course, if we ever get anything wrong, don't hesitate to tell us that you got a follow up so we know what's happening.
0: Yeah, not just on this HP Aruba story, but anything we covered in Network Break. We love to get corrections, mm-hmm. additional commentary, follow-up, whatever. So HP uh, PacketPushers.net slash FU. Uh, that does wrap up the news portion of the show. Stay tuned. We've got a sponsored conversation about VMware and HPE GreenLake, uh, a partnership that supports multi-cloud and AI initiatives. That's coming right up. Today on the Tech
1: Bytes podcast, we're looking into artificial intelligence in the enterprise with our sponsor, VMware. Now, VMware and HPE have partnered together to produce a faster market solution for implementing artificial intelligence in an enterprise setting. Now, HPE GreenLake, of course, is HPE's solution for providing as-a-service infrastructure and software operations to your thing. And many corporate companies are very keen to start working with AI for internal data sets. To build their own models but the first step to building an ai platform is to run the inference and it's not easy to do that there are many different ways to do that our guest francis guida director of compute workload solutions product management at hpe is joining us today to discuss how vmware private ai and hpe GreenLake can be deployed quickly and without radical or difficult changes to your operational environment Let's get straight into the conversation. Welcome, Francis. Let's um. What are the top challenges for customers adopting AI? We know that there are enterprises out there who want to put their toe in the water, maybe go all the way in with AI. What are the first challenges that customers are coming to you with and saying, I want to adopt AI?
2: Yeah. So AI has been around for a long time but it's recent innovations like ChatGPT that show its relevance to a range of real world use cases. So the big thing that enterprises are looking at today is just how do I get started? They've heard about it, but it's kind of been treated as a science experiment in a lot of ways, and it's just now moving into a lot of the real world use cases. So they're trying to figure out what kind of expertise experience they need, what are the right use cases, how do you get this operating within an enterprise IT environment.
1: Right. And it's not easy because we see a lot of hype talking about you know GPUs and AI acceleration and software frameworks, but we don't see a lot of discussion around the AI infrastructure. At the end of the day, this still runs on compute and storage. And we really need to be solving that problem at the same time as we're saying, I want to do AI.
2: That's absolutely right. So Customers are trying to understand how do I characterize the performance of AI? How do I know what kind of infrastructure I need? Mm. Uh, lots of conversations, GPUs are critical mm. for AI. And so there's lots of conversations about how to figure out how to configure a server with the appropriate amount of, of, of GPUs. Mm. Um, and HP is doing work to help customers jumpstart that and um, make that much faster for customers in conjunction with VMware.
1: So. VMware and HPE have partnered together. How are you going to be able to bring AI inferencing and, you know, running the AI software and so forth on-prem? What's the offering look like?
2: Yeah. So VMware has done a terrific job at defining exactly what the right software stack is. And so I'm not going to talk about that, but what I want to talk about is how HPE is partnering them with mm-hmm. them. So we are working with them to uh, make a clear definition of exactly what the underlying infrastructure will mm. look like. Uh, we are fortunate that build on the VMware vCloud foundation offering that we have uh, been uh, collaborating mm. on with them for, for many, many years now. Mm. And so uh, we have that already defined and what we need to do now is just layer in their AI software stack. And one of the, the big things we will do as we bring this to market is we are um, building this with our HPE GreenLake offering, right? Mm. So HPE GreenLake is all about, um, Bringing the cloud to where our customers are, and helping provide the right edge-to-cloud experience, uh, so we can do do this in a completely managed services environment. For example, should customers choose to, so that's an We're opex the ones way. Figuring out the infrastructure, yeah. and then we deliver it as opex. That's right. Yeah, you sorry. deliver it
1: as opex, which is I think the key thing. The key takeaway for GreenLake is you can get a couple of racks full of AI gear as OpEx. You can literally rent them, you know, within InfraTrack. But I think also importantly in that this runs on VMware's cloud foundation. So you actually get all of the tools that you know, and you've probably are in your data center, all of your staff are using. Is that right? So you get VM. Oh, that's and absolutely right. And, yeah.
2: That's I think that's that's one of the the big benefits of uh, looking at VMware for enterprise AI. Right? You have mm-hmm. organizations have an operational tool set that they already use that they know how it works, and so AI doesn't have to be a new strange beast that they bring in that uh, they have to figure out what you mm-hmm. know how to do this from scratch. We can they can just plug this into the environment it is that they already have. Right. So it just becomes
1: an app. In a, in a weird sort of a way, although you're buying custom hardware to do this because AI needs, you know, VMware and NVIDIA has a partnership together to do AI-ready enterprise platforms, HP is actually delivering that hardware as part of the Green Lake strategy. And you're providing all of the infrastructure necessarily, but you're also providing a solution stack around that. You know, now- In the notes here, because I I wasn't aware of this, computer vision AI, generative visual AI, NLPAA, how does that look? What what does that mean to people who are listening?
2: Well, let me maybe step back a second, right? So, um, HPE as a company has mm. a long history of AI, right? I talked earlier mm. about how AI is is not new and a- HPE is not new to AI. Our right. super supercomputers have been powering a lot of the early AI development. So we understand very well what it takes to do AI model development mm-hmm. and training and fine tuning and finally AI inference. And AI inference is where the magic of AI happens. Uh, and That's what VMware is offering with their private AI foundation. This builds on, from an HPE perspective, a set of uh, AI solutions that we're offering in market around those things like computer vision AI, generative visual AI, NLP. So HPE, with our ProLiant offering, we already have those predefined uh, configurations ready to go for customers who are looking at those use cases in enterprise. So
1: you've been doing high-performance compute, if you want to say that, where AI came from, you know, before AI broke out from HPC to become a separate you know, the latest little black dress, if you like, the latest fashion. And what you're saying there is that HP is actually bringing that expertise, that software, that knowledge, and putting it into a purpose-built accelerator optimized for this.
2: That's right. We're bringing all of the expertise that we have over over decades of technology um, and making making it much more accessible for the enterprises who just want to figure out how they can use this to drive a business outcome.
1: The thing that appeals to me about this, you know, as I was preparing for this show, I was thinking about the enterprises out there who are running so much infrastructure out there today. And this is just another complexity because you've got the developers or the people who are going to take the AI extract data from the data lakes load it into the AI. There's a lot of complexity going on here. If you have to move this up to a third party cloud or an external cloud, there's a lot of hard work and heavy lifting and cost that's associated with this. It seems to me that the GreenLake solution would be simplified. If your data is on-prem, you want to be doing the AI on-prem because you want to have that data close so that you can run the model over and over, like you can run the inferencing repeatedly.
2: You're absolutely right. So there's a lot of complex terms that are thrown around, ar- around AI, but I like to keep it simple, which is AI inference is basically operating in real time. And when you're operating in real time, you have to be doing your inference based on wherever your data is is you don't have time to send the data up to the cloud or Mm. retrieve the data from the cloud wherever the data is that's where you want your inference so when you've got you know maybe ai out at the out at the edge in a retail location you want the system that's doing that ai inference right out there with that data
1: yeah and and there's a whole operational consideration here that we don't see discussed a lot in that running all of the infrastructure to gen that you need to, you know, extract the data, load the data, move it in, run run it run the inferencing to extract the models and then use the models for something else. That's all custom software work. So if you're gonna be running up deployment, you know, getting the developers to do your your DevOps around this, you probably want to stay inside of the VMware model because that's where your existing experience
2: is. No, that's absolutely right.
1: Yeah. And and I think we don't under like that's efficient. If you have to go and relearn a whole third-party proprietary solution from somebody else, you know, Azure or Google or whatever, there's just a whole lot of cost and time associated and trying to find people. But it would be, it just strikes me, it's so much easier to say, I'm going to buy this from HP GreenLake. It's very much what I'm, you know, what we know and we know how to buy, we know how to operate. And then this software is going to be using a lot of the existing tools that we want. So we just have to focus on the bit that makes a difference. And that's the AI part.
2: That's right. And, you know, this is a good opportunity for me to talk about what you know, because I want to talk about how HPE knows VMware. We have Mm. partnered with VMware for over 22 years. Um, In fact, I personally remember very early in my career, I met with VMware when they were still a startup. So I've worked (laughs) with them for a lot of those 22 years Mm. as a part of our HPE effort with VMware. So we have 200,000 joint customers, 100,000 global partners, 25,000 solutions experts, joint engineering solutions. Uh, We were actually named the partner of the year by VMware in 2023. Mm -hmm. And of course, then our GreenLake offering. So we can bring that all to bear, all of that depth of experience to help customers take on this next challenge. As as a customer, I hear that and
1: I'm thinking HP's got pull on VMware. You could pull VMware into your orbit and you can get their attention to make a solution that works. Not Sometimes there are partnerships put together and they're sort of, you know, they're partners, but they're sort of at arm's length. What you're really calling out here is this long-standing, deep and significant relationship that continues today. Absolutely. Okay. So we've sort of set a background here. We've got an infrastructure and we've talked a little bit about the operational considerations and how it is. How would you say customers would see this as an outcome what are they seeing when you, you you propose a solution to them what do they do from a business point of view
2: at the end of the day right there's a lot of interest in AI in terms of the the cool things that it can do yeah. but businesses aren't actually that interested in cool things that AI can do they're interested in how does AI help me do what my business do, does in a better way can I take data that I couldn't previously use and put that to to use to drive a better outcome for my business? Can I address use cases that previously couldn't possibly be addressed? Does AI help that? So, you know, that's what customers really care about. Mm -hmm. In order to achieve that, they need to make sure that that they're getting the right kind of performance out of their AI systems. They need to get their value as quickly as they possibly can. And in order to do that, uh, I think that they Can benefit from leveraging expertise of trusted partners like HPE and VMware.
1: I mean, there's a whole lot of discussions here around, you know, the cost of GPUs is pretty substantial. And there's also an interesting one here about getting an AI outcome means can you get access to a GPU allocation? And HPE is much bigger than most corporations, and you've got a much stronger channel there to be able to deliver GPUs to customers to be able to do AI today. I think that's a a time to market
2: advantage. I'd like to think it
1: is. (laughs) (laughs) Now, one other thing that we didn't touch on, we should have touched on this a bit earlier, is security. It's my impression here that we can use our existing security tools for all of this. So just because we're doing AI and moving fast and, and adopting rapidly and iterating rapidly, do I have to abandon security here?
2: You don't have to abandon security, although I would say actually security is important but also privacy, right? Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why customers w- are interested in solutions like private AI foundation is because of just that word of private. Right. They can keep their da- their data on prem, on site, they're not taking their data and it's not so much, you know, putting it into a cloud somewhere, but it's if you take your data and you put it into somebody else's model, it becomes part of the 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 general yeah. data that's used by that model. And so it can be a sig- significant privacy concern for enterprises. And so that's one of the great um, aspects of Private AI Foundation is it keeps your data private.
1: Right. I want to dive in, delve a little into the GreenLake software because GreenLake isn't just about you know dropping a rack full of gear with a monthly fee associated to it. It actually comes with a whole software suite around
2: it. Am I right? That's absolutely right.
1: Now, one of the things about GreenLake is you've got a pool of resources that you can bring to bear. So, we've seen a lot of resellers pick up on GreenLake. We've seen all solution providers pick up on GreenLake solutions. Is there the possibility that I can go and hire a professional services team to help me get started with AI?
2: Yes. And in fact, we would suggest that that's a great place for organizations to start. Think mm-hmm. about exactly what the right use cases are for you to deploy AI and HPE. Uh, due to the fact that we've been in this market space for decades, mm-hmm. uh, we actually have a, a, a many services consultants who are trained. They can help do AI discovery workshops, help you figure out exactly uh, what's the right place to get started and map out an end to end strategy for your business.
1: Right, so knowledge transfer. Get that first. Get over that first speed bump into getting started. It's not, you know, so many times we buy something and we put it on the on deck in in a data center, and then we go like, now what? And so you can actually round out the portfolio about those sorts of things. Um, What about the channel? If I deal with the channel, maybe I'm a smaller enterprise and I go through a reseller partner. Uh, Is the channel coming up on this as well?
2: Absolutely. In fact, I was at a an event uh, two weeks ago where we were training training two hundred of our largest channel partners to uh, enable them to talk about AI and deliver AI solutions to their customers.
1: I think they've got to be excited about it because it's going to be a revenue opportunity for them. You know, at a time when the market's going through a transition, so they have to be there, and I think they'll want to be participating. They certainly do. Well, unfortunately, we're starting to run out of time. Francis, thanks so much for joining us today and talking a little bit about this. This is a really complicated topic, and I don't actually feel like we've done it a whole lot of justice. Where can customers go to start getting more information?
2: Well, if you're in Europe, the two best places to go are either at VMware Explorer in Barcelona or at HPE Discover in Barcelona, both of which are happening in November. And we will have experts who are there to talk to you, talk to you more about this. Uh, if you're not in Barcelona, a good place to start is hpe.com slash proliant slash AI, where you can find more about the range of, uh, AI inference solutions that we have on our HPE ProLiant compute platform. Thanks very much, Francis.
1: And don't forget, you can find this and many more fine free technical podcasts along with our website at packetpushes.net. We have a whole range of channels and topics. AI is just the latest fashion in technology, and there's so much of it going around at this point in time. If you've enjoyed today's show, please, when you, if you do choose to contact HPE or VMware please tell them about where you heard it. And as always, last but never ever least, remember that too much technology would never be enough.